2 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at two verses this evening. Three verses. Verses 20 through 22. And you follow along as I read. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. For if after they escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit and the sow that was washed to wallowing in the mire. And let's pray. Lord, help us as we turn to this portion of Scripture. Give us insight on this subject and in these verses we'll look at this evening particularly. Help us have great confidence in your salvation and be able to teach others as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to take a a few messages probably and I don't know when they will be just as the Lord leads. On this subject, problem passages regarding eternal security. Problem passages regarding eternal security. We spent a few sermons recently within the last few months uh, in a little series entitled Blessed Assurance, and we identified 50 Bible reasons why a born-again believer cannot just lose their salvation. And this is an important thing because you need to know that salvation is secure so that you're just not going to accidentally lose it. You're not going to wake up one day and, oops, I went too far, oops, I said this, I thought that. Uh, When you don't know that your salvation is secure, it creates a lot of insecurity. And then, of course, you can never really give your heart to the Lord if you're always wondering if you're on good standing with the Lord, if you're on solid footing with the Lord. And so the Bible wants us to know and spends an awful lot of time uh, talking to us about how secure we are in our salvation. There are two elements to consider. One is this, and we'll probably mention this in greater detail in a further message. God wants us to have confidence in our salvation, but not be presumptuous. And that's an important distinction. It's a small distinction, but it's a vital one. Some people are presumptuous in thinking, well, of course I'm going to heaven uh, for all the wrong reasons. God wants us to have a confidence that's based in the word in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, where we can say, I know I'm going to heaven based on the word of God. And oftentimes when we ask people, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? They'll say things like, well, nobody can know for sure. Uh, And while it's true that no one should be presumptuous, God also wants us to have confidence. And so we'll delve into that probably in the future but it's an important distinction. There are passages that kind of say, hey, uh, you're saved, 
but don't take it for granted. And we need to mark those and identify those. Then there are passages that make it sound like you can lose your salvation. And we're gonna, we read one of those tonight. A lot of people, if you're just reading along and you come across this passage, it's like, whoa. I thought I couldn't lose my salvation, but the Bible says this and this. There are passages that at a quick reading can give us doubt about maybe our salvation is in question. Maybe a believer can have their salvation taken away or they can lose their salvation. But oftentimes that is because we have not rightly divided the scripture that I'm going to show you tonight. And so we're going to take some of these problem passages, probably three to five, maybe six over the course of a couple different messages. But tonight I want to get to one or two and show you these things so that not only can we have confidence in our own salvation, but we're also going to be able to help others who come from a background that, well, no, of course, of course the salvation isn't secure. Uh, And let me just say this. Jesus didn't save you so you can wonder about going to heaven. He saved you so you could have confidence you were going to heaven. Right? 1 John 5.13, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And we could go through all the, even all the soul winning scriptures. There is an inherent confidence built into these scriptures. It's not like we'll do this and maybe you'll make it. Or, or believe in Jesus and just cross your fingers and hope for the best. There is an absolute assurance built into the gospel plan. And so God wants us to have assurance without being presumptuous. And he also wants us to be able to help others to have that same assurance. And so uh, we're going to look at the scripture here this evening. There are some passages of scripture that at a quick reading make it sound like you can lose your salvation. Just to lay the groundwork, it's important that we navigate these difficult passages properly. The Bible talks about rightly dividing the word of God in Second Timothy. So a lot of false doctrines come from people taking verses out of context or misapplying the Bible to mean different things. And there, there are a set of rules that we use to apply to the scriptures to make sure that we're treating all the scriptures the same so that we're not picking and choosing about different things. And there's a whole <coughs> system of study called hermeneutics. You don't need to know that. But it's just a, a list of, of most of them, common sense rules that just kind of give you the groundwork about how to treat Scripture so that it's all treated the same. But here are some ground rules for our, our study as we look at these difficult passages. The first is we take the Bible literally unless it's clearly speaking figuratively. So God gave us a literal book. You don't have to wonder, you know, we don't, uh, we don't consider the Bible an allegory. We really believe Jonah and the whale. We really believe Moses on the mount. We really believe the Mount of Transfiguration. We believe in a literal heaven and a literal hell. And Christ literally did miracles. And this is a literal book about a literal God and all the literal places and literal spiritual things. And so we take the Bible literally unless it's clearly speaking figuratively. Number two, we use context to identify Uh, of whom the verse is speaking. Oftentimes, the biggest question is, who does this verse apply to? And if you apply it to the wrong group of people, then you can come up with a very serious false doctrine, as you'll see here in just a moment. 
Number three, we use Bible definitions for Bible words. Two great mistakes when it comes to looking at a word. Sometimes people assume that a Bible word only has one definition, and that's a mistake. For example, the word damnation, we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, speaking about the Lord's Supper, damnation, that often speaks about going to hell, but it doesn't always speak about going to hell. If you misdefine that word in the Lord's Supper, then the, the truth becomes, if you do the Lord's Supper wrong, you're going to hell. Oh, wait a minute, I thought I was saved. Not if you do the Lord's Supper wrong. And you can see how this gets so confusing if you use the wrong word. There's multiple reason words for uh, many words, damnation, sanctification. You'll hear about that in another verse, how uh, the misdefinition of that word can make people come up with a false doctrine regarding uh, a salvation. Wine, sometimes it speaks of, of uh, alcoholic wine. Sometimes it speaks of the fresh fruit of the vine. And so it's a mistake to assume that a word only has one definition. It's also a mistake to use a modern definition for a Bible word. Amen. Don't always assume that the Bible means the way that you use a word today. That's why I often encourage you to use, and I use personally, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Uh, it's not a perfect representation, but it's a, the dictionary that is the actual, the first dictionary. Noah Webster came up with the idea of a, a printed dictionary, and if you, if you have a copy of it, it's about that thick and about this big, and uh, thankfully nowadays you can have it on, on uh, a line. But it's, the English meanings are a lot closer to the Bible meanings than what we would have today. English is a living language. Uh, if, if I were to say, hey, that's cool, uh, someone back in the, the 1800s would assume that it's cold, right? Uh, if someone in the, in the, the, back in the 70s, they used to say, hey, cool your jets, man. Like, what does that even mean? I didn't, in the 90s, I didn't know what that meant. You know, it's like, cool your jets, bro. It's like, I don't even know what that means. What's a dude? Dude, cool dude. Like, what's a dude? And so... Uh, English is a living language that's constantly changing. Nowadays, you know, we don't even know what a woman is anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, we do. They don't. We do. But the, the danger is, as, as language changes, don't assume that a word you use today is how God meant it. And that's why we use definitions. All right, so just some ground rules. Take the Bible literally, unless it's speaking figuratively, obviously. Use the context to identify who, of whom the verse is speaking. Use Bible definitions for Bible words. Here's an important one, number four. Never use an obscure verse to disprove an obvious one. Amen. So if you have an obvious verse that says this, and usually there's a bunch of verses that say this, and then you come across a verse and you're not sure what it means, you don't use the verse you're not sure about to change the meaning of all the verses that are clear and obvious. Does that make sense? Amen. And then number five, don't jump to conclusions. If you don't know what a verse means, it's okay to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what does this verse mean? I was reading the Bible today and I came across a verse and I'm like, Lord, I, I want to know deeper what this verse means. And so don't jump to conclusions. Spend some time in prayer and studying the Bible to learn what the Bible says uh, and 
that will help us. All right, so with these ground rules in mind, we're going to jump into uh, the Scripture tonight and look at this passage. So one of the problem passages when it comes to eternal security is 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. And you can see how this would cause problems. For if after they escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they again are entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to uh, not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Now this verse causes people to wonder or even worse conclude that believers in Jesus Christ can lose their salvation. But by asking two simple questions, we learn the, the truth of this word. The first question we ask is, who are they? Who are they? The subject of this passage is they. For if after they, well, they is a pronoun that has to point to something else. And you can't assume what the they speaks of. Now, where we get into trouble is we read what comes after the they and we say, well, having escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we say that sounds like somebody who's saved. But is that what the Bible says? Well, we really don't know until we know who they are. And if you find, if, if you follow this word they all the way back throughout the, the passage, you'll find that <coughs> the word they is used 15 times up to this point in the chapter. And so the Bible has an awful lot to say about who the they are. They this and they that and this is who they are and this is what's going to happen to them. But who are the they? And in order to find the answer, we've got to go all the way back to verse number 1. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Look what it says. But there were who? False prophets, False prophets among the people. Even as there shall be who? False teachers. False teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, and by reason of whom the way of truth is evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, and now we have the theys. This entire chapter in 2 Peter chapter 2 is talking about false prophets and false teachers who are twisting the scripture even up to and including some of them were denying that Jesus Christ is the Savior. So now, going back to verse number 20, let's replace the pronoun with the antecedent that, that, that it's speaking of. All right, so for if... False prophets have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, now it's becoming clear, isn't it? The next question becomes, what does it mean to escape? All right, if these are false prophets, what, what does it mean when it says they escape the pollutions of the world <coughs> through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And this is the meaning. These are people that knew who Jesus was, and they had an outward reformation. They began to change their lives based on what Jesus said. If you were looking at them, their lives would have changed. 
Maybe they would stop smoking. They'd stop drinking. They'd stop being immoral. They would stop uh, acting a fool. They would stop cursing. They would start going to church. They would start preaching the Bible and teaching the Bible. They had escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their life had changed on the outside, but nowhere does this verse say that they were born again. Notice it uses the word, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge does not equal faith. This is what we would call head knowledge. Hold your place here and look at the famous Romans chapter 10. And so we can get some more context. Romans chapter 10. These people had the knowledge of the Lord. They had an outward reformation. But did they have soul-saving faith in Christ? That's not what the Bible says. Notice what it says in Romans 10.9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine head that God hath raised him from the dead. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? <clears throat> and we often talk about this when it comes to soul winning and, and teaching people about the gospel. It's not head knowledge that saves you. It's not a mental ascension to the facts. It's not saying, yeah, I, I understand Jesus was this, and I believe that this fact about Jesus, I believe this fact about Jesus, I believe that living a moral life is probably the best thing. I believe that this is probably how you have a good family. This is... This is This is how you be a good husband. That's what Jesus said. But that's not the same as a heart faith that's transformational on the inside. You know, the Bible talks about the wheat and the tares. The tares are plants that look like the wheat until it comes time for them to bear fruit. And really the only way that you can tell what a wheat and a tare is is the wheat has the grain and tares don't. And there's coming a day, folks, when it's going to be very obvious and God's going to separate the tares from the wheat. But until then, we really don't know. Even we just talked about the the Lord's Supper. You don't know if I'm saved or not. You can look at my life and say, well, he looks saved. He talks saved. Me and Jesus are the only ones that know for sure whether I'm born again. That's why the Bible says examine yourselves. You better know. I think so. You better know. And another place says, of course you know whether you're born again unless you're a reprobate. It's like you're the one who has to know this. And you know it based on God's word, not based on how you feel any given day. It's based upon the word of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it is a heart faith that saves. And that heart faith comes out in the form of of a, a prayer for salvation. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, wait a minute, that's not just a magic prayer. Just because you say those words doesn't mean that you're born again. You can repeat a sinner's prayer and still be in your sin. It's the heart. It's the heart that makes the difference. And it's the heart, man, for in the heart man believeth unto salvation. And the mouth just points to that. And so really the only person that knows if you're saved is you and Jesus. The only person that knows if I'm saved is me and Jesus. But knowledge of the Lord Jesus is not the same as faith in the Lord Jesus. Do you see that? Let's look back at the scripture here. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped from the pollutions of escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled therein again. 
Now notice they they can't stay because they're not born again. They don't have the 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 supernatural power of the Holy Spirit within them. They they fall back into their old ways uh, because that's what self reformation does. Jesus told a parable about a <clears throat> an evil spirit that moved into somebody, and that evil spirit got kicked out, and the person swept the room and made it look nice. But then that evil spirit brought seven others like itself. And Jesus said the, the, the end of the man was worse than the beginning. See, self-reformation, if you're trying to turn over a new leaf in your power, that's never enough to stick. God doesn't want you to turn over a new leaf in the flesh. He doesn't want you to try harder. This is what often in counseling, when we're talking to people about changing their lives and they've, they've got some issue, getting victory over sin is not about trying harder. It's not about... It's not about just digging in and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It is a supernatural happening through the power of the Holy Spirit. That only happens when we surrender to the Holy Spirit. And when you surrender and the fruit of the Spirit can flow through us, it's like a tree. You never see an apple tree groaning to bear fruit. It's not work for the tree. It just happens And when we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and we surrender to the Holy Spirit and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, it's not us fighting tooth and nail anymore. We have to fight to keep the flesh down. No. We have to wake up every day and say, I'm not going back there. I'm not doing those things. I'm not going there. I'm not watching that. I'm not hanging around those people. I know where that leads. But it's a full surrender and allowing that spiritual sap, if you will, to flow through you. And that's life-changing. And that's how you sustain a changed life over a lifetime and don't go back into the same foolishness. Sometimes Christians, they'll start to struggle and they'll start living in the flesh and they'll start to revert back to the same old things that God saved them out of. And that's because we're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so we see the, the latter end of them is worse than the beginning. So they, they have an outward reformation. They have the knowledge of God, false prophet, false teacher. Maybe they're busy for the Lord, and then all of a sudden the bottom falls out, and their life looks much worse than it ever did before they followed Jesus. And this is a problem. And no, look what it says in verse 21. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What's the holy commandment? Ye must be born again. Peter talks about the salvation as being a command. It's not just God's preference that you get saved. It's a command that you get saved. Everybody's either going to get saved or they have to die in their sin and spend eternity in hell. Jesus isn't saying, I prefer it. He's saying, this is what needs to happen. It's a commandment. These people had all the head knowledge. They knew the way of righteousness. Perhaps they were even walking in some form of, of biblical morality, Christian living, if you say. But they had never given themselves to the one doctrine that truly mattered, and that's salvation itself. 
And so what happens? Look at verse 22. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. We have dogs at our house. We uh, have some occasional litters of AKC Shih Tzus and and it always grosses the girls out in my house, my wife and my daughters. If you ever see a dog throw up, they don't like go get a napkin and clean their mouth. And, and uh, their way of cleaning it up is they're like, Bleh. and they look at it for a minute, and, and they'll just start eating it again. Now, you say that's gross. It is gross, but it's not surprising. But it's like sometimes the ladies in my house, they're like surprised every time it happens. It's like, how is this happening? It's, it's oh no. It's, this is what dogs do. You can clean up a dog. You can give it a nice bath. You can brush its teeth. I don't. You can brush its teeth. You can give it doggy mouthwash and doggy mints, and you can put a nice little scarf on it. You can even put a nice little season-appropriate sweater on it. But if a dog throws up, it's probably going to eat it. And this is one of the proofs that this verse is not talking about Christians. Notice, this was a cleaned up dog that returned to his vomit. It wasn't a dog that stopped being a dog and became a sheep and then became a dog again. It was a cleaned up dog that went back to its vomit. Same thing with the sows. I, we didn't have a lot of pigs, but my dad, uh, every so often he would have a pig. He always named it Charlie, Charlie the first, Charlie the second, Charlie the third, Charlie the fourth. Boy or girl, its name was Charlie. That was really confusing as a, as a child. <laughs> it's like, uh, little Charlie, feed him, take the scraps out at night, fatten them up for a couple of years. And really what's interesting is pigs, for the most part, are very clean animals comparatively to some barnyard animals. But they love to wallow in that mire. They get hot, it cools them off. They just love to wallow in it. And you can clean up a pig, but if it's a hot day and it sees that cool mud, that's what it's going to do. And so this is the issue with this verse. This was not a sow that became a sheep that became a sow again. This was a pig tried to stop looking like a pig and acting like a pig. But it couldn't maintain that, so it just started acting like a pig again. And so, hopefully now that you have this context, this verse, you, you'll be able to understand it and also be able to help others with it. We have some other verses that we're going to get to, and um, I think this will be productive for all of us so that we can have confidence and we can be able to help others as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the Scripture. We're grateful that you speak to our needs and you give us a lot of information about the deep truths of the Word of God. You give us an awful lot of information. Thank you that our salvation is so thorough and eternal. And Lord, thank you that Though we're completely helpless to save ourselves, you've done everything necessary.
for us to be forgiven and to live a new life for you. And temptation's real. And sometimes Christians backslide and they go back to the old ways. But it's not a dog returning to the vomit. Now it's a sheep acting like a dog. And help us to live for thee in a way that's meaningful and brings other people to you.